0: Welcome to The Lively Show. Let's explore the beauty of being alive. Hello, my friends, and welcome to today's show. Today, I have a lot of notes sitting in front of me to try to cover what is a very big subject. And I'm not gonna lie, I never thought when I started The Lively Show that I'd ever be talking about this subject. It never entered my mind for the last majority of my life until the last, I would say, six, seven years, but especially in the last five, that this topic itself was even interesting or intriguing to me in the first place. But in the last six months, as you'll get to hear the whole story, uh, it's become a prevalent, predominant theme of my life. So as I share this with you, I am (laughs) feeling a lot of interesting feelings because I can feel the younger version of myself that might have been highly skeptical of a topic like this. And yet the truth of my own reality in the last six months is so different than the skeptical version of the younger me on this subject. And yeah, I just, oh, man, I'm feeling all different things. But I also know, and I'm actually also amazed that there are so many people in the lively community that are excited and ready for this topic as well. So I am keeping that in mind that even though the hyper skeptical version of me maybe 10 years ago that wouldn't even think to ever talk about this subject... That's not necessarily where, obviously, where I am anymore, but also where the community itself is. So if you're listening to this and the topic is intriguing enough for you to click press play on, then I guess you're here for a reason. And I'm just going to share my own evolution of experience with past lives, and then also some of the past lives I've been having, and also what I've learned from myself and my clients with past lives over the last, especially the last six months, but I'd say six to 12 months for sure. Okay, so subject of past lives, this is obviously something that I have no way of scientifically proving to you whatsoever because we don't have science to this. But obviously many religions for a very long time have spoken about this, some of them more than others. But the actual experience for me personally never really entered my realm of anything too much if I try to think back to like, how did the evolution of past lives become into my reality personally? So I'm gonna show you my personal stories with all of this in hopes that it's helpful for those listening. So number one, I would say, if I think back to like, where would this start to enter my reality? That would probably be when I found Abraham Hicks Abraham Hicks, as you guys know, for many, many years was a huge and very foundational teacher in my reality. Abraham Hicks is a channeled entity done and channeled by Esther and Jerry Hicks. And Abraham always basically, they did did speak about past lives here and there. But most of all, what they really did for me about 2015, I think is when I found them, is that they talked about the fact that there is no kind of death. So that was huge. Just like talking about death as croaking and that there is no death. That was very liberating and felt very intuitively true to me in my early inner voicing days and years in those early years. And so that was one thing. They also did touch on past lives, but didn't actually focus on them. So I might've heard circulation on the topic there, but mostly I'd say Abraham helped me start to realize there is no such thing as death. Then as you go into the journey, I think it was around 2017 or so, the lively community encouraged me to listen to The Journey of Souls or read the book, The Journey of Souls by Michael Newton. Again, talks about not dying, first of all. And the focus of the book is obviously about what happens between the lives. So obviously there's this idea of past lives or multiple lives happening in that book, but the majority of the actual book is focused on in between the death and the next birth, what happens in this space between the lives. So that's obviously where the journey of souls goes, and they talk about why the soul picks different lives to come into, what experiences it learns from the lives it's had, etc. So there, again, I'm starting to get into, you know, there's past lives, and they're talking about them, and they're explaining what happens not only during them, but also between them. So that's really starting to, again, for me, hit into there is no such thing as death. My inner voice is always saying the same, but these are outside sources, if you will, that helps confirm. That for my mind as I was growing and learning. Now, at that point, I would say by the journey of souls, I was like, yeah, there is no death and there are past lives. But (laughs) I was endlessly fascinated. This is actually possibly where a good portion of lively show listeners might be themselves right now on the journey around the subject. I can remember for a good while learning and loving all of the stories of synchronicities and alignments that came from past lives, but didn't have any direct connection to that idea of past lives in my own soul chain or in my direct experience in this you know, lifetime itself. So for a very long time it was just learning about stories of others. And this might be one of those examples for somebody listening right now, in fact. But I will say it started to enter my life. I would say the first one I can ever remember um, wasn't actually a direct memory of myself, but one of the things that truly, even though I was kind of all in on the idea of it, kind of a little bit skeptical of the actual practice of it in my own life. I remember doing a Theta Healing session when I first discovered Theta Healing through a friend of a friend in London, 2016 or 2017. The friend that I was with at dinner brought a friend and she's like, I just got done with this training and it's called Theta Healing. And I had just intended to find a better methodology than traditional psychology or traditional uh, therapy. I decided, you know what, there's something going on in my life and I just want to get through it faster than... Years and years and years of talk therapy. I was still doing baby steps in the inner voicing realm, doing it consistently within myself, but not nearly to the place where I have come now. So I was still in the early days of everything in myself. And this theta healing thing just seemed like literally the thing I had intended to find. So I booked a session with the person's kind of teacher that she was learning her theta healing training from at the time. I later, fun story, fun fact, became a theta healer in. Bali doing the training i think in 2018 or 20 late 2017 so later on i actually did the training it's a really fun modality and the thing that really changed me on terms of past lives around that modality was that when i did the session with the friend's teacher in london since i happened to be there i was like i booked in with her the next day the woman did not know me from anyone. She just met me. She's British. She's never met me before. And we're doing the subject on something that was in my past. I wanted to have greater clarity and just kind of move past really quickly. But in the middle of the session, totally unrelated to the topic at hand that we were discussing, she goes on a tangent and just blurts out a story. And it, because of the details, it's kind of it's a past life story that she just blurts out. And it sounds kind of outrageous as she's telling it. But The story is set in like the 1800s. And she just blurts out with the story. And then she kind of jumps back into what we were actually talking about. So for a good two or three minutes, she's explaining this. I see a past life where you were this. And this was happening with your husband. And this is what happened with your lover and all these things. Now, what was wild about that was it had nothing to do with the topic we were discussing. She didn't know me from anyone. I don't even know if she remembered saying what she said in those three minutes after she said them because they were so unrelated to everything else in the conversation. However, what she described of this past life in the 1800s had a dynamic of three people, me, a husband, and a lover, and the dynamic that played out. And what was wild was that she had no clue that the dynamic she was describing that didn't end very well in that life was a same pattern or like I would almost call it, like the karmic resolution was this life with my college boyfriend and my dad and myself, which is so wild. And because it has to do with my dad and my college boyfriend, I'm not going to go into su- super detail about the past life because it still kind of like had to do with details in this life that are more privately, you know, held for them for their own privacy. I won't. St- you know, say everything, but let me just say, I was like, oh my god, I was just shocked, shook actually, not even shocked, shook by like she doesn't know me, but she just literally hammered onto something that the characters slightly switched. So who even knows if my dad was the actual husband in the other life, but the college boyfriend was the 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 role of the lover in the past life. And the situation that unfolded in my life when I was younger, in my early to mid twenties, was the karmic resolution to, like a peaceful ending, you could say, to what happened in the life she described. And she had no idea anything about me. So, and you know, she couldn't have like intuited into that just by talking to you about the subject we were actually speaking about. So that was wild because how did she know that unless you just kind of felt into it and somehow pulled that out of something. It just was too aligning, literally. To this life. So that was fascinating. And I just kind of lived with it. But again, it was someone that said it to me. So it wasn't a direct past life that I felt through myself. And if anything, I could be like, I just found the odds of her being able to pull that out of the blue outrageous. And the fact that no context given, it just. Overlap so beautifully with this life, but ultimately in a positive ending versus the negative ending that was described in the last one. So I live with that for a good few years. And then I obviously keep learning about past life stories, keeping interested, keep loving the journey of souls. And then enter Rachel Krether, who you guys might know if you've taken some of my classes. She's my like dear, dear friend in Australia and my RTT hypnotherapist, rapid transformational therapy therapist that I love to go to. Rachel used to be a crystal shop owner in Sydney. When I was living in Sydney, we became dear friends. And then through listening to the lively Show, actually, she got excited about RTT and then has now been doing RTT for many, many years. And she's actually now doing the Life Between Lives hypnotherapy as well. So if you're curious about the journey of souls and that kind of stuff and want to do it for yourself, Rachel's doing that now. You could go to rachelcreather.com to go do one of those sessions with her. But when, I think this was all the years are getting blurry now, but I would say, let's say 2019, give or take, twenty. 20- 2018, 2019, somewhere in there, I decide to take a baby step forward. Instead of just living with that story that I heard from the Theta Healer, or instead of just hearing other people's stories of past lives, I decided, you know what, I want to have some kind of baby step forward into directly experiencing. And I can tell you, I had a little bit of, I had a lot of enthusiasm, but slight hesitation at the same time. Some people, again, listening to this might relate to that kind of feeling. You're excited about it, but a little bit scary. It's like, I want to, I believe in it, but like, am I gonna really interact directly with it? So I get to this point where I tell Rachel, hey, I want to do some hypnotherapy. This is before she did the light between lives, you know, years before she did that training. So we just tried to take RTT and kind of adapt it to take us back to some scenes from other lives. And that's as simple as we kept it in this hypnotherapy session we did for me for fun to see if I could get into some past lives. And what I got in that early, early first direct touching into these other theoretical past lives or simultaneous lives, I'll get more to that in a a second why they may not be actually considered past as you feel into them in the now. But I will say I felt into, and I, I remember thinking, yeah, what, what I found fascinating about the experience with Rachel is that there were five distinct, I would almost call them snapshots, almost like photos. They weren't actual physical 3D objects that were flat like a photo actually is, but they were scenes. They were like glimpses into a scene as if I took a screenshot of five different Netflix shows. In each of the scenes, I could feel a direct feeling that corresponded to that scene. Now some of those scenes, one of them was a girl in kind of what I would imagine to be London or some 1900s or 1800s kind of uh, time frame with a red drawing room or living room kind of scene. She was in a wingback chair, and she was epically bored out of her mind <laughs> sitting there in that room. I don't know what the exact dynamic that was playing out in her life, but she was really, really bored. And that one I could connect to as a feeling I felt in my own life growing up, being really, really, really bored. So I was like, okay, cool, interesting. One of them I remember feeling into is like I was a woman, an older woman, not me as Jessica at the time, but... But the scene that I saw was the the awareness that I am being a, a natural, intuitive woman that probably people would consider a witch now, or even maybe back then is what was considered a witch. It wasn't like cackling in front of a cauldron, casting spells. But it was just a woman living in the woods and knowing how to use... Uh, nature to do like natural homeopathy type stuff. So I'd say that was kind of one scene and she felt alone and hiding in the woods. That was a scene and that was a feeling that went with it. Those two. And then the third one that really sticks out. I got five total. I think I'm forgetting the other two. They're not in my awareness right now, but the one that really stuck out to me after these this little session with her was this one. There was a bright vivid 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 blue ocean all around me, like the photos I see of Greece and Santorini with white, white, white kind of temple. So I feel like what I saw was extremely blue water, which I've never physically actually been to a place with this t- color of water, but photos I've seen do show this in places like Greece. So maybe it was Greece. Maybe it was a different time frame altogether. I'm not sure. You know, it could have been a totally different era of civilization for all I know, but The scene's uniqueness to me was the feeling of tranquility that I felt in that scene was unique to me because it wasn't anything I could directly relate to in this life ever having experienced. It was a foreign feeling of extreme tranquility unlike anything I'd ever touched in this reality. The tranquility was so next level, I'd never even touched it before in my life as Jessica at that point in time. So that one was most significant because to me, it was the most diverse. It was the most like, that had nothing to do with me. The little girl in the red room, I totally could relate to that feeling in my life here. So that was like, oh, maybe I just like remembered that and put on a different story to it. Or of course, I've been afraid before. So hiding in the woods as a natural healer female, that could be something I've also been afraid before. But the tranquility I I felt of the scene with the Temple Y water vista thing. That was new, and that was unique. So I remember out of all the scenes, that one hit me in terms of, is a past life stuff? Is this stuff really real? Not just as a belief system that I was excited to believe about it, but was I directly ever experiencing something? That, again, really stood out to me as a direct experience of something new and something different than I could have ever, or ever, ever related to in this reality. So it'd be very hard for me to make that up because it wasn't something my mind could have pulled upon from the life of Jeff it was unlike anything i'd ever experienced in the life of jess so that was really cool now this is all well and good and i i would say that after that i kind of sat on and coasted with those scenes of the past lives. And that was it for a good few years. I was really excited to go beyond the mind, as you all know, and heard over years of the show. When I was 33, I was like, wrap this up or get me out of here, do something. I can't just stay here. Rearranging the furniture endlessly. This reality is an endless repetition of itself. There's gotta be more than this. I'd rather leave this planet than stay in the stuck mind um, that I'm in. So I need to go beyond. And that took a few different years of what I call the dragon or the cocoon phase, as you've heard me describe. And there was loads of beanbags coming up, dozens a week, sometimes several, several, several a day. Sometimes I got a little bit of breaks in between, but there was several years, I would say three heavy years of releasing emotional beanbags on the way to 2020. And that was when I was predominantly on my own, alone, 90% of the time, which a lot of us were in a lot of isolation in that period, but I was definitely through a few of those weeks or about a month or so, really deeply, mostly alone, seeing people a few times a week, but that was about it. And in that period of time, I had that flipping of realization to know that I'm just awareness or my soul recognized itself as pure awareness, which then later seeped into the human awareness of myself. And then I knew that. So after that period, I kind of just was integrating that knowingness into my own life, and then my inner voice told me to go to the Mayan ruins in Belize. And so I end up in the Mayan ruins <laughs> looking up the Mayan ruins in Belize, going to Belize, going to the Mayan ruins, and one of the things that's most famous in the entire Belize this like tourist system is the scuba diving and snorkeling because the water is so excellent for it. Now, Actually, to actually also say, one of the other theories I always had as this idea of past lives was coming into my world was that even I would, alongside every scene I just told you, I actually had a pet theory without any direct proof yet (laughs) that I drowned in a past life. As I started to believe in the idea of past lives, I initially immediately kind of cornered one of the patterns that presented in my own life throughout my life, entire life actually was the fear of not getting to the surface of water in time. If I was ever to ever, ever, ever have a phobia in this reality, it would have been exactly those words, the fear of not getting to the surface of water in time. So something like a submarine would be my worst nightmare or scuba diving, for sure scuba diving because A, you're not even in a machine that can take you up and B, you have to acclimatize or do that little like um, thing where you sit in, I know you guys are all thinking of the word right now, I'm forgetting it but that that period we have to like equalize and then you go higher and equalize you can't just like rush to the surface that would freak the crap out of me. And honestly, when I look back at my entire life in like uh, swim lessons, my mom used to drop me off in Ohio when I was really young to swim lessons. I would scream bloody murder, murder. It was like torture when she would leave me with this lady for swim lessons. And then what I would just scream, 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 scream. I hated when she would bend the lady that was teaching me how to float, would have me go bend backwards and have to float on my back. That was because my fear was I was going to sink. And then I would see the water, but knock it to the surface of water in time. And I was probably... Three or four years old. It's one of my earliest memories, actually, that I remember doing snorkeling with my family when we were in Florida one time, and I had an immediate reaction, freaked out. My dad had to take me out, um, put me back on the boat, take my younger brothers out snorkeling, and then I didn't even do it that day. I just freaked out and couldn't do it. And because I just recognized over my more adult years that yeah, this is not something I want to do. Scuba diving, hell no. But here I am, 2020 or 2021. I'm in Mayan ruins in Belize, and they're. Doing scuba diving and they asked me if i want to do scuba training and this is i think it might have been late 2020 or early 2021 so there's still heavy lockdowns like huge lockdowns but travel was like restrictedly permitted. So I think there was only 20 people at this entire resort that I was at because my intuition told me to go to the Mayan ruins in Belize. And so all 20 people had a ton of staff looking over them because the hotel was staffed, but there was so few guests at that time. And they asked me if I wanted to do the scuba And I decide, because I've already realized I'm just awareness. So if I'm just awareness, I am nothing. How could I have a phobia or fear, right? Or at least that's my logic at the time. So I say, sure, yeah, let's do the scuba diving training. I'll give it a try. And didn't have any actual... Fear that I'd have fear. And by the way, can I also say, even though I had all of these initial freakouts in water, I never actually had anything in my life that was ever to be afraid of in water. My family had a boat on Lake St. Clair in the Great Lakes of Michigan. I grew up boating my entire life. I never drowned. I never had any issues swimming. I just would always freak out at the first instance of swimming. And I even remember in a pool once, diving for the little toys at the bottom of the pool, seeing the surface of the water above me, and then freaking out and not liking that feeling. So if you imagine like how water reflects in the light hitting the top of water when you're underneath it, that scene, that is what freaks me out. And that is what I will get forward into the story that like becomes... um important. So in the scuba diving training, I'm the only one getting the training because there's only 20 people and I'm just the one that's doing it on that day with the guy. So I have this instructor with me. I'm in the pool at this resort and he puts me with the respirator on and the, you know, wetsuit and everything. He's walking me through how to do it. I'm breathing underwater with the little respirator above the water, but using it. And then he's like, okay, now I'll go sit at the bottom of the pool and sit there and breathe with the respirator on. You've got an oxygen tank on for, I could probably live for hours down there at the bottom of a six or eight foot pool, whatever it was, maybe it was eight feet. So I go down there and as I'm sitting there, the minute I got to the point where I would not have been able to hold my breath for a natural period of time, I still had the respirator and the oxygen was fine. I had an incredible physiological Complete meltdown. I came up to the surface, popped up sobbing, crying in a hot mess. Truly, truly, truly a hot mess. He's like, What's going on? By the way, there are people like lounging and sunbathing on the lawn chairs all around the pool. And I'm just crying in the pool. (laughs) And he's like, What happened? You just were down there for two minutes. You just had to keep breathing. And I was like, I'm sorry. My whole body, I was purple. My lips were shaking. Uh, My lips turned a different color. I was just like a little drowning victim, basically. That's literally what I was doing and reacting from. And I was like, crying. i was like, I'm sorry, this isn't even, they didn't do anything wrong. And I'm feeling, how do I explain this to this guy? I'm like, this isn't even my fear. I think I drowned in a past life. (laughs) Because I'm feeling this insane reaction as though I drowned even though I never have. And he's like, what is going on? I said, I'm sorry. I think I just need to go to my room. And so I just get out of the gear as fast as possible. I take myself with my towel. I go back to my hotel room in this resort. And I instinctively knew what to do. So in that moment, I go to the shower. I warm my body up because I was truly having a PTSD response. My nervous system was completely in chaos at that point, wasn't properly regulating me. So I warm myself up. I put a big towel and robe around me and I sit on the bed in the hotel room. And I think I basically was very, very intuitively led. I knew there was the past life. I knew it was triggered insanely by that experience and I kept hearing my inner voice say small boy small boy small boy so there was a past life as a small boy that didn't get to see the surface of the water he died seeing that water that always freaked me out in this life and so this is when I always had a theory was going to be something if I had a past life I probably drowned but then I was now directly being in a PTSD response from it and then actually this is the one I first I want to use air quotes here healed or released, or integrated. Which is, as my inner voice said, it was a small boy. I intuited and knew exactly instinctively what to do. Which sounds pretty crazy, but I just rocked my body, rocked my body, and I just imagined that what I was feeling was this little boy's fear as he drowned, and as he died, and didn't get to the surface of water in time. And in his reality, his trauma was still stuck there. So even though his body died, his mind hadn't let go of the trauma Yet, And that was so strong in my soul that I, in this life, was always reacting from, you could say like the collective subconscious of my soul to that experience in this life. And so I just figured out basically pure intuition here of what knowing, knowing what to do. My inner voice words I only got were small boy, small boy, small boy. The rest of it was a pure direct knowing of I need to help this small boy die peacefully because he did die. I'm not about changing that. I'm actually about helping him let go in a peaceful way. So I was like, okay, how do I tell a little boy that he didn't die? So I started to say inside of my mind, it doesn't even matter if I was saying it in my head or saying the words out loud. It's irrelevant. If you do this for yourself, it's irrelevant whether you say them out loud or inside your head. It doesn't matter. Just do what feels good for you at that time. But I was basically communicating to the small boy saying, you didn't die. You fell asleep. I was like, how do I help him let go? How do I help him let go? Okay, so he's not gonna die. He, every night he falls asleep and he lets go and he goes to sleep. And I was like, okay. So I treated him like a little son of mine who was dying or like a little cousin of mine who was dying. I was like, okay, so you're just gonna let go. Like every night you do it before you go to bed, you just let go and you go to sleep and this is what's gonna happen. And you're still gonna be alive. You're still gonna exist. But he wasn't gonna wake up the next day. You know, That wasn't what I was promising him. I was just saying, you're still gonna be alive. You're not actually going to die, but you are going to let go. And so that over time resolved my body. My body came back into a natural state of harmony as he integrated and stopped fighting that feeling and knowing in a sense what I was helping him to understand, my body stopped reacting the way it was to the point that I was also, by the way, on these days that I was there going snorkeling. And the snorkeling would kind of initially freak me out a little bit like the other. And then I would kind of find my bearings. It would always be like I'd have the initial freak out and I'd find my bearings with swimming or with snorkeling and stuff. So except for the scuba diving, that was too direct of a thing when I finally did that little pool experience. But in the snorkel dive the next day, I was coming back on the boat and my inner voice said to me, diving is not drowning. I heard those words in my inner voice. Diving is not drowning. And I instantly clicked. It was an instant rewiring of my Mind, My subconscious and instantly clicked over, a rewiring of a neural net like no other. It was like, yeah, diving isn't drowning, but every time my body's been diving in my entire life, I always react as if I'm drowning because of the little boy. So when I got back on dry land, right after that little epiphany happened that diving's not drowning, I went to the office and I said, hey, I wanna do my next like adventure thing and I wanna go back to the scuba diving training. I don't even wanna go in the water in the ocean. I just wanna do exactly what we did two days ago and I want to do the scuba diving and I want to be able to meditate at the bottom of the pool. That's all I want to do. I just want to show myself that diving is not drowning. So I think it was like the next day or that day. I forget which, what it was. I go back in and now that I've integrated the past life and I've heard diving's not drowning, which rewired the neural net. I was able to sit at the bottom of the pool, breathing ever so peacefully because I was realizing and living in my frame of reference, knowing that I was not drowning. I was diving with a respirator and an oxygen tank on. So I never ended up doing the ocean scuba diving to be fair. As I actually learned more about scuba diving, I have friends that love it. But when I've actually learned what they see versus what I see in snorkeling, I realized that like, I don't really have much desire to see what's at the scuba diving level. What I actually love is all the pretty bright colored fish that are at the surface closer to the snorkeling level. So I haven't actually felt any actual interest in going scuba diving as an actual thing to do. Um, doesn't mean I wouldn't ever in the future, but it hasn't been something I actually want to do, but I did get to the point where I could sit up at the bottom of the pool without having the PTSD response I first had. All right, so that was one of the very big, big, big first ones that first came to me. The next one that stands out, and I think it was probably the next one that actually occurred to me was when I was in 2021, I think it was 2021 or early 2022, I was dating Atlas at the time, living in Portugal, but I went for a few days to London. And while I was in London, Atlas stayed in Portugal. And he said one one of the things he wanted to do while I was away for a few days was I was just shopping and having fun in London. He's like, I want to be able to spend a day meditating and going inside myself. Very cool, right? Just he just wanted to have a day to go within himself. And so that day, he, you know, he told me about it before I even left. We talked about it. He told me what he was going to do. But I was instantly pretty, like, nervous about it for some reason. I don't know My mind had had all these dating experiences where they didn't last as long as I wanted to, and I was just afraid. I was just afraid. For some reason, when he wanted to meditate that day, not thinking that I'd be able to communicate with him for that day while he was going inward stressed me out. And he did his best to kind of assure me like what he was going to do. He's like, I'm going to meditate. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go for a walk. Like So I would know it was going to happen. But I wasn't going to talk to him for 24 hours. And as that day unfolded, I remember I was in Harrod's department store just wandering around. I didn't have anything to do that day at that part of the day. So I'm just wandering around, looking at things. And I remember I was in the Gucci section of Harrod's, of all things, wandering around aimlessly, just looking at pretty things. And I start to have an anxiety attack while I'm looking at stuff in a store. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my God, I feel like this is a ghost. And I was like really fascinated by the fear, the, the huge anxiety I was having. I was almost in tears in this department store, not being able to talk to Atlas. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is going on? I was like, this feels like a ghost. I think there's something happening. And this had happened. And this feeling was so familiar to all the times that I was dating and the things didn't work out or think men left and stuff over those travel years. So at first I kind of associated it with all those dating experiences, but this was very different. This was not one of those experiences, but I was reacting as though it was. So I go back to my Airbnb at the time. I lay down on the bed and I just asked my inner voice, okay, what do I need to know? And I hear like, there's a girl. Didn't say small girl, small girl. Like I got for small boys. small boy. It was a girl. And my inner voice said, girl. And I got brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, three boys, two girls. This girl, I I have this feeling it was in France, but it's not about having all the details. It's not about knowing her name and finding her tombstone and then going back to light a candle or anything. But I got that there was a girl and she lost her siblings somehow. Somehow she was taken away from them or she was, she was, she lost the siblings. That's all I know she lost five siblings and she, my inner voice said the phrase, loving is not losing. And just like diving is not drowning, loving is not losing. But my subconscious had a program that loving is means I'm going to lose somebody. And because I had all those dating years where I did not stay with people. That loving is losing felt very accurate to my life in this life experience, but it wasn't because of this life experience. It was because of the other life with the girl that lost her siblings. She was afraid. And ever after she lost her siblings, she felt afraid to love people because she was afraid she was going to lose them. And here I am in a situation with a boyfriend in this life, and I'm not losing him at all. I'm just not talking to her for the day. But that was enough to trigger an experience that felt similar and intense enough for me to, at the time, be able to recognize that this is something that needs integration. And so I helped the little girl. And for her, I decided she wasn't in a point of dying. She was just afraid of being in a relationship with or loving anyone in her life after that point in time. And so what I decided for her intuitively, again, no one was telling me what to do. I didn't take any classes on past lives or anything, but I was just like, hmm, how do I help her? How do I help her? She feels like she lost these siblings and now she feels alone and she's afraid to love. So I decided to integrate her into myself. So I kind of treated her a little bit like a younger sister, or I guess you could say a little bit like a daughter or an aunt with a niece might be a really good analogy. I'd say like a big sister to a little sister or a niece, and an aunt dynamic, but I just invited her. I said, look how cool my life is. Do you want to come into my world and be with me? And you'll never be alone. I'm always here for you. I'm always loving you. You'll never be alone. I'm connected to you. Your siblings were going to die or go away eventually, but I am always, 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 always here for you. And so I just soothed her with that unconditional, ever-present love. That I was feeling because God knows I've been feeling her feelings my whole life. So I was closer to her than anyone in her own frame of reality was. And I was never going to leave her alone. So as she came in and integrated and accepted that, I stopped feeling that anxiety. And that one was huge. On a practical level, I'm not normally worried about drowning that often, (laughs) not around water that much to have that concern. But when it comes to actually feeling anxiety around partners or losing them or that kind of thing, this was a much more prevalent daily kind of experience for all those years of travel and dating earlier. And then after that, and even now in the last year, it hasn't occurred to me once to have that feeling of loving is losing so incredible so that one was the next fully integrated. Now you can see as I go from like having the ideas of past lives might exist to some people telling me about some stuff that might've happened to me. Now I'm actually having a few of these actually come forward. After I had the little girl that had loving isn't losing and the little boy with the diving isn't drowning, I looked at my own pervasive patterns in my life that just didn't really make sense to my life, but I'd always experienced in my life. And I immediately figured out there was another pattern. And so I was like, okay, there's a pattern around drinking that occasionally happens to me in this life, throughout my life, not all the time, but sometimes. And I was like, inner voice, what is that? I wanna look at that pattern, I wanna figure it out. (laughs) And so as I felt in and connected in deep, deep, deep with my inner voice, my inner voice showed me a soldier. Now, the soldier, I saw a sword, and it was one of the really old-timey kind of Three Musketeers era, like crusades up to the 1700s, somewhere in that, like a really old heavy metal sword. And what I saw was there is a soldier who lived past the war. And as I fell into his life, what's wild about these past lives as I've experienced them more directly now is that it's like literally putting on VR goggles and a level of perception that I never have for other people, even though I can hear someone tell me a story or I could watch a movie in this reality and feel like I got the feeling of what it was like to experience something that someone else lived through, whether it's a story or someone telling me a story of what they lived through, there is a next level 3D reality-ness to these past lives that perception shifts occur in my reality. And with the soldier, what I realized when I put on or put on my VR goggles, when I fell into my inner voice, I saw or felt, you could say my third eye inner vision showed me the soldier. And what I felt and instinctively knew in a flash was that everyone that died in that war- was instantly released unless they had trauma about how they died in that war, which could be, you know, if they were lit on fire or something, they could still be uh, in another life afraid of fire. But when it comes to the soldier, I realized those that died were immediately relieved of the trauma they're experiencing. And what I realized by feeling into this soldier was the soldier lived, but his memories stayed with him too. And so he did not know what to do with all the PTSD and trauma that he kept reliving like Groundhog's Day for decades after the war ended. And the longer the war was behind him, the more... The less and less people could connect or even relate to him, and the more and more still stuck his neural networks were in his mind to replaying the old trauma. So, what did he do? He didn't have the idea, interestingly, to kill himself. He didn't think about suicide, but what he did do was he drank to leave. He drank to forget the trauma that was playing out in his mind. And I actually have a feeling that there are, in uh, old souls that have lived a lot of lives in the distant past of this reality, a lot of them may have used drinking or alcohol. Could have been opioids or something like, or opium. I guess was also a thing at different points in history in different parts of the world too. So definitely, we had different coping mechanisms. But when I look back on it, what I instinctively felt from this soldier was that he used grape juice or wheat. So they had grapes and they had wheat for a really long time of humanity and not a lot of pharmaceuticals as we do today with technology being more advanced. So what he did was he just did the thing that made it go away. He wanted to find a way to make the pain go away. Did he have Oprah books? No. Did he have meditation? No. He was probably not even educated, may not have known how to read or write, but he just was in so much trauma that he basically probably became a bit of a homeless person on the street, just drinking every day he woke up to forget the reality that he used to live and that and in continuing to do that over and over again he didn't even like the reality he was still living on the street everybody looking at him trying to stay away from him he didn't have access I'm sure to um a home or shower or anything. He was just drinking to leave the reality. And when I fell into that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is grim. So I was like, you do not need to stay in this reality. And so my inner voice, by the way, side story, Um, one day I had the interest or curiosity to see what would happen if I asked my inner voice how many lives I've lived or the soul of me has lived. And I always hear exactly the same number, which I always find interesting. It's 1052. And that 1052 is a lot of lives, (laughs) and I can't confirm or deny if that's true. It's just always the exact number that I always hear, and I know that it's more likely to be my inner voice because if my mind was making it up, of course, I'd pick like 999 or 955 or 1055. 1052 is so specific and never varying, though. So that's the one it always says. So when it comes to the soldier who lived past this war for decades, drinking to leave I was just thinking, all right, we got to like have a a releasing of this story because he's just stuck in this over and over again. So what I told him was um, this one was harder to connect to, if I'm honest, in a sense than the little boy and the little girl. Those ones felt really easy for me to connect to. But the soldier felt more removed in a sense to like, obviously, I didn't have to worry about what language he spoke. He might have been French or French. Venetian, for all I know, who knows, but he, when I tried to communicate, I realized I have to keep it simple and I have to keep it basic. And I don't talk down to him like a little kid. I would talk to him. I was like, I don't even know really how to communicate with him, but I got it done. And what I basically said is, look, you do not have to keep living in this reality past all of this over and over and over again. You don't have to keep drinking to leave. This is a really ineffective way of doing what you're wanting, which is to let go of this reality. So I showed him, look, you're going to have a 1,052 other experiences. <laughs> Don't worry, you're not actually going to die permanently. You're not going to be wiped out of existence, but we got to let go of this story. We got to move this story forward. So it's not like I was going to give him meditation. He would have no clue. It's not like he's going to find an Oprah book the next day. He doesn't have any tools. So it's like the, the compassionate thing for him was leaving. So I actually showed him okay, every night you go to sleep or you drink yourself to sleep. So in the evening, when you go to bed, let go, and I showed him that he doesn't have to, every night he goes to sleep, he ends up reconnecting and coming back in his consciousness, back into his body, and I told him, this night, you don't have to anymore. You can let go and you don't have to come back, don't worry, you're still gonna exist, you're still gonna have 1,052 other lives, but this one doesn't need to be relived in the trauma that you're in for 30 more years, you don't have to keep doing it, you're not stuck, there's nothing you have to gain out of this one, this one's already done what it needed to do, And so there's a lot of wisdom in that. I know for people that are afraid of dying, that might sound very dramatic, but if you're not afraid of dying, that is obviously, at least it was very clear to me that that was what that soldier needed to know, needed the permission to leave. And I didn't feel like for him, you know, cutting his wrists or (laughs) shooting himself, I don't think they were guns at the time he lived, but uh, I was like, no, he doesn't need to do anything other than fall asleep. And let go, don't come back. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing, you know, that you need to keep coming for. It. You don't have to keep fighting to stay alive. It's okay, let go. So, all right, those are some of the classic three that I first. Of patterns that I'd actually lived my whole life myself, but then were able to integrate and stop having those interact with my own life and stopped having to living them out in my life, which was great. Then we move forward. And there are a few different times I can think of two specifically where I actually know I shared past lives with other people, and we actually experienced that directly. One of them is with Alice. He and I realized at the same time on one of our cacao ceremonies, it was our second cacao ceremony ever, at the same exact instant, it's like we broke through the veils. <laughs> we saw their lives and I was like, oh my gosh, that was pretty majestic. So that was a person that I obviously knew I had other lives with, and we both actually felt into that experience, which was incredible. But now, fast forward to kind of past lives, that was probably 2021, October 21, then coming into 22 last year, um, this time last year, I started to have, I would say between, there's a huge acceleration. For the past year, I've been alone since moving out of Portugal, since the end of that relationship, I have been alone (laughs) 90 6% of the time of my life, like I have been alone. Um, Yes, I do Pilates. So I have like, you know, an appointment with my Pilates instructor. Yes, I go to dinners with my friend Dee, And when I was in Australia, I would see Rachel occasionally, or I go on like weekly dinners with my friend Tony. But that's about it. Like even the last few weeks, I was 12 days in a completely alone. I would talk to, I would be around humans, but I would only talk to like waiters and ho- hotel staff and and just people that were working at the places that I went to, but I wasn't even speaking outside of those kind of interactions to anybody for 12 days. So I've been alone a lot. And as it was in the seven years that I traveled, whenever intuitively guided to be alone, my mind kind of hates it. And at the same time, my soul is creating that space for growth to occur within myself. So the first six months was a lot of kind of like noises in the other room of my soul. I could tell there's a lot of stuff moving around and I couldn't always feel exactly the insight of to what was moving, but I could feel a lot of bumps and lumps and creaks and Just a lot of energy shifts, you could say, for the first six months that would sometimes directly and pretty massively impact my life and how I could function in this reality. But there wasn't tons of specific details I was able to feel into until the last six months. So for definitely the last six months of this year, a lot of past lives have become Relevant and coming into my life in order to be integrated like I shared of those earlier ones. So the earlier ones were done years ago and then there was kind of a quiet period when I was in Portugal. I didn't really have tons of this kind of, I was like busier on the surface level of life, living life, enjoying my relationship, enjoying my time in Portugal with friends and stuff. So there wasn't as much of this stuff going. Then there was the six months of like creaks and moans and things happening in my soul, but not with my direct kind of conscious participation you could say i was being impacted by it but wasn't clear exactly in all times what was happening but then in the last six months man did it really accelerate in terms of past lives now one of them i want to share which i haven't talked about yet it is danielle in the beauty of life so danielle and i did like jennifer the six months of beauty of life now, Danielle, as you guys know, received the furniture that I created for myself for Australia and Detroit. I stored it thinking I would later use it in my future home one day, but ended up giving it to Danielle as the starter home stuff for her move to Vancouver. And that was beautiful. I actually wanted and intended to do the beauty of life with a little makeover tied into it in the first version of the, of the show. And I thought as I was coming up with that idea, wouldn't it be cool if I could gift that furniture to somebody? So of course, we picked Danielle and Jennifer and And Danielle ends up moving and needing furniture. And I have this exact desire to give furniture away. So I completely manifested her and she manifested me on that level. And that's where we thought the story ended. But the details on the backside of getting the furniture to Danielle were that I had been paying for this movers for years to store my furniture and later now to deliver it to Danielle in Vancouver. And as I do that, I have diligently paid on time, like ahead of the month. I set it up in my Chase Zell payment so that the storage would always be on time because I always thought karmically pay them on time so that you get the best possible outcome on the other end of it because I really cared about that stuff. I had spent so much money and time and effort and love and care curating all that stuff. And I really did think at first I was gonna have it for myself. So I was always, for those two or three years it was in storage, every four weeks paying that bill on time and being such a little peach to those movers so that I would have a really great karmic resolution when I actually received the stuff. Now we're gonna send it to Danielle. So I think, okay, this is gonna be great. It's gonna work out. And all of that good karma points that i've been curating by all this good energy is going to turn out the best well it didn't go that way it ended up as much as i really wanted the highest and best outcome for danielle to get the furniture for it to arrive in the best condition and for all of it to go smoothly it really didn't go that smoothly there was a sofa that went missing In the whole situation, there was the TV that was like one of the Samsung frame, big TVs, quite expensive, got broken in a few different parts. There was some marble tables that arrived cracked and I think that was the majority of the things that were wrong. But also, oh, the big thing was that they had told me that they would leave the painting that I had wanted to uh, bring over to London, which I shared about in the Flow Gets Tough episode. If you listen to that episode, you already know. I had this giant painting that was the most important piece of all my possessions on a sentimental and value level. Danielle didn't love it, so I was like, okay, this might be a sign that I should keep it for myself, and I'll send it from New York where the furniture was stored to London. So I asked them to create the painting and store it in New York and then just send everything else to Vancouver for Danielle to use. But instead of doing that, they ended up charging me as though they did that. They charged me to store it in New York. They charged me for the crate in New York, but they ended up delivering it to Vancouver with everything else. So now the painting, instead of costing like $1,950 to send to London, is now, as I got a second quote from Vancouver, it was going to cost me six or $8,000 to send which is outrageous. And so that's like all the things. So they break the TV, they lose the sofa, they break some marble tables. They tell me I have insurance for $5,000, but then they say the insurance isn't actually valid (laughs) and they deliver the painting, but they're still chasing me for the money for storing it in New York. So I have put up with all of this and end up like for a while trying to just like, ignore that it happened at first. I just tried to not even complain and just move forward. But then when they tried to actually, they got mad at me for, not mad at me, mad's the wrong word. When they actually followed up to actually charge me for the New York storage and the crate for the painting, not realizing they'd messed up and and had gone to Vancouver instead, and then I was going to have to pay all this other money to have another company fix and resolve the issue, I actually called and freaked out. And I finally kind of lost it. After all that stuff, I was like, no, this is not okay. You don't even know where your stuff is. You're charging me for things you didn't even do. I just freaked out. Now, I really had a very very strong reaction to this experience. Outrageously strong, stronger than it should have felt for the situation that it was. So yes, all of that happened. And it had my friend Jess in Detroit, who you guys have met. She was the one actually on the ground when they actually put the stuff into the container and everything. So she's been watching and talking with me as this all unfolded. And of course she was like beside herself by how they behaved. But I'd been putting up with so much of it, just trying not to make a fuss, just getting it done or moving forward. And when they actually tried to, you know, charge me for the stuff and say all these things, I just lost it. And I actually was beanbagging and it was fascinating that night because I knew that on the surface, like I should just move forward. But the beanbags I were having was like in the middle of the night, were kicking and screaming into myself, into my soul. Like kicking. I was on my back on the bed at three in the morning. Kicking up into the air, like kicking and punching. And we talk about anger beanbags and how they go into the arms. My legs and my arms were flailing after this experience. But I knew this was like outrageously strong reaction, even though the situation maybe just in Detroit might have kicked and flailed too. But I was like, no, 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 this 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 is this is too much. This is this, even though, as upsetting as it all was over the period of months that this all unraveled it still was too much for the scene. And I eventually started to go, you know what, I wonder if this has to do with the past life. And so I asked my inner voice and I hear another sentence, another set of details. And I just heard simply two girls locked in a room. And what I knew is two girls locked in a room meant the minute I heard that phrase, I knew what happened. Oh, not all the details, thankfully, but I knew basically what happened was whatever happened is the two girls, whoever they were, I was one of them. And I didn't even overanalyze, like, was I both girls? Was I had two lives where this kind of happened twice? Like what? But I just heard two girls locked in a room and I could tell based on the dynamics of this reality, the overlay, what it was in the surface level of the essence of the story that I knew. Needed to see was that these two girls, I was one of them at least, and I had done everything right. I might've been a, a servant, but I would say more of like a slave is probably a better energy dynamic as I felt into it. Some kind of, I was working and Obligated. It could have been like concentration camp style type of thing, or slave. Like it was really heavy. But I remember, I remember remember directly as 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 Bella or Jess. But like I could tell based on how I was acting in this whole story that the storyline of that other life somehow connected to these girls were stuck in a sense of servitude, and it was not a choice. It was not there. Like they're just getting paid. They had to do whatever they were doing, and. Despite them doing everything right, they ended up getting locked in a room and killed. They, whether they got sexually tortured before they got killed, I don't know. Whether it was like gassed, whether it was put on fire, whether they were just tortured and killed, I do not know. But all I know is that the girls did everything right. And despite doing everything right for a very, very, very long time, they still were dramatically taken advantage of and killed and not relieved. And so what I was feeling in the bed as I was kicking and punching the night before was the girl, the energy of the girl going, I have done everything right. And now I'm locked in this room and there will be no escape. There will be no getting out alive. And that, obviously, super heavy, super intense. But once I figure out this past life, then I have this opportunity to release the pattern and move forward. So I know, you know, at this point, kind of the spiel. It's like, all right, we got this. Is like the the heaviest one. I know that the little boy when the drowning thing obviously had a physiologically strong effect, and the panic attack in Harrod's obviously was not pleasant to go through. But this one, based on the fact that there was torture involved. Was, I would say, the most exhausting one for me to go through, and also took the longest for me to figure out that it happened. And once I resolved it, I showed the little girl, or the girl that I was, that she, not I as me, but the lifetime that my soul had as that girl, I fell into it. I said, okay, just leave the room you don't have to stay for the torture you can leave the consciousness of the, your your personality you know you can take yourself out of this experience you will not leave the room alive but you can leave that room you don't have to stay for the torture and you can choose to leave your body so do not stay and that really helped that past life resolve now this was what happened and then a week later i had never told danielle that story <laughs> so i don't know why but about a week later i just like go oh Yeah, I never told Danielle that my inner voice said that. So, out of whim, I decided to call her on a walk and I just decided, hey, Danielle, you know that, you know, the movers and all that stuff that went weird. Here's what my inner voice showed me had happened. And I had this past life. And I said, two girls locked in a room. And the minute I said it, she started getting full body chills all over her body and she started to cry. And she said, she, I don't know what she said exactly, but she recognized she was the other girl locked in the room which I didn't even get emotional even saying it now. Like, outrageous. I had a huge reaction at the time, as I'm having right now. And we just, I don't think we just like cried together because we don't know exactly the details. We just know that that sentence and the situation we were through connects on a deeper level than our conscious minds know how it connects. But once she connected to the story, it kind of resolved that was I the two girls in different lives? Or was I both girls in the same room? No, I was a girl. And so was Danielle. And what I feel into once she connected to the story, the knowingness about this was for me, that she was the younger girl, and whether she was my daughter, whether she was just a little girl that was in the same place as I was, maybe she was my cousin or friend. I don't know who she was, but she was younger. I don't have the detail of what the dynamic relationship was. But she was younger and I was looking out for her and taking responsibility for her. I had a huge sense of responsibility towards her and hoping for the best for both of our lives and trying to be there to protect her and give her the best life I possibly could, even though we had very, very Minuscule freedom in this life. I did my best for us to have the best outcome possible. And at the end of all of that effort, for all those years that I tried to do that for both of us, we ended up locked in the room and killed. And What I find fascinating about this one is like the very first story that I told you about my uh, college boyfriend, father, and I uh, that related to this other past life is that the Danielle story is the beautiful, this is the beauty of life, right? The series is called The Beauty of Life. The beauty of life is that we died and probably were tortured and possibly slaves in the other life to an extreme, like I'm talking extreme, like a concentration camp type of experience or just pure slavery. and I don't even know a time frame on this, so it's not really the detail that's important, but the extremity that we experienced then, I couldn't do anything to give her anything close to what I actually wanted to give her. I couldn't protect her. I couldn't make it okay for her. I couldn't do what I wanted to do for her in that life. And it's so funny because it's not me that wanted me being the life that I'm living now, it's this other life. But what I see or recognized once she connected to the story was that this life was the karmic resolution of the other life. In this life, which I couldn't control the last one, but in this one, I gave her the tools that she needed so that she knows how to connect inside herself. I showed her how to release her trauma so she doesn't have to stay stuck in any of it. And I gave her a whole bunch of new furniture so that she can build a new life for herself that's all her own. And because of the painting, as you guys heard, there's Becca who entered the equation, who moved to Vancouver the same year that I got the painting, and then decided because her inner voice kept showing her the painting to buy the painting and now may become a friend of Danielle. So I look at that going, oh my, oh my goodness. Like, even though the other life didn't get to have the beautiful ending at that time. Because there is no ultimate death, there is a chance for things to be beautifully resolved in a new and beautiful way in a different life. Now, not every lifetime needs to have a karmic resolution like that, as we have in this one. But like I mentioned to the previous one about my college boyfriend and father, it was one of those as well, where it resolved into a beautiful, peaceful conclusion, rather than being in the traumatic conclusion that the other life had. So. Whew, that one finally got that one out there. I was planning on telling that to you guys eventually when I did this episode, and we're already an hour in, and I have so much more to say. Actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let this be a part one to this subject because this is still, <laughs> there's still more to come, many more lives that I've actually experienced, but I won't have to go into every single detail about it. And at the same time, I'm sure there's a lot of questions on what to do, how to know if you've got a past life and all the rest of it. So there's many, many more things, client experiences to share, etc. So let me make this a part one. And later this week or next week, I'll come back to you with the part two because I'm already at an hour and I probably have another hour to go. So until next time, may something wonderful happen to you today.